Well, hey, everyone, welcome back to another Bible study. So today you're going to get a twofer. <laughs> what I mean by that is you're going to get two for the price of one. So what I want to do is I want to look at the two verses that have been assigned to me, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. And then I'm going to use that as a launching pad to talk about another topic that relates to it, uh, one that I think is going to be an encouragement to you and one that I am passionate about, and you'll understand why when we get to it. So let's get into verses 26 and 27, but before we do that, let's do a quick recap. So in this chapter, what Paul has been talking about is that for us as Christians, we live in a tension. And the tension that we live in is we live between what once was in the garden when we had perfect communion with God, there was not a world devastated by sin. So creation was happy, was satisfied, was perfect. Humanity had this unseparated relationship with God. So they had communion, they had a connection. But then when sin came into the world, obviously it destroyed everything. So we live in this tension between what once was in the garden and what will be for eternity. For us as Christians, our hope is not in this earth. We don't put our hope, we don't put our goals or passion about this earth. We put our hope into eternity with God. And the reason why I use eternity with God instead of simply saying heaven is the reality of eternity is a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to actually spend probably more time in the new earth with unhindered access to God into heaven, and we'll be able to go back and forth. But there's going to be a physicality to it all, and, and this is what we talked about this past Sunday. Uh, but so Paul's talking about this tension. This is where we live. So we put our hope into something that is yet to come. But then Paul acknowledges that in that difficulty, we have someone who can help us. And obviously that someone is the Holy Spirit. And this is a theme that really is the foundation of all of chapter 8, but it's a theme that Paul talks about often in his writings and even in this document that he wrote to the Christians in Rome. And so in verse, verses 26 and 27, he talks about something that the Holy Spirit can provide for us, which is really a beautiful image. It's an image of a God who cares about us, a God who cares about our minds and our hearts and the tension and the struggles and the anxiety that we feel. And so let's just go ahead and dive in. And I'll, I'll pick up in verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit, and again, I always want to highlight this, it's a capital S, and capital S is referencing the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What Paul acknowledges is in our lives, we have a weakness. And the weakness, really, there's just layers to it. Uh, we have the weakness in that we have a sin nature. Uh, we have the weakness in that we are physical and not spiritual uh, in the sense that where we're going to receive our glorified bodies in eternity. But we also have a specific weakness even in how to pray. And I don't know if you've ever felt this tension, because I have, and I consistently still feel this tension, where you know in your mind some truths. You know that God is good. You know that God has power. You know that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And so sometimes in our prayers, there's like this confusing element to it. We want to pray for all the things that we desire, but then we also know that it's possible that the very things that we desire are not the ideal for us. So from our limited perspective, we think this will make me happy if I get this, or if this thing's removed, if this thing's restored, whatever it might be. But then from God's perspective, he might look at that very thing that we see as a negative, and God might think, 
that's actually a positive. I'll give you an example from Paul himself. Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, he said to them that he had this thorn in the flesh. I'm, I often say this. I'm thoroughly convinced this was a physical struggle that he had. But Paul says, three times I asked God to remove this from me. So from Paul's perspective, this request being answered would bring him a deeper level of happiness, of, of joy. But he says, from God's perspective, God says, no, I actually allowed this thorn to be in your flesh, whatever it was, so that you would not grow conceited because God gave him supernatural revelations and he didn't want Paul to grow arrogant. So from God's perspective, if Paul didn't have this, he could grow arrogant and possibly damage the kingdom of God, damage his relationship with God, and maybe even walk away from faith. So the very thing that Paul asked for, God said no because it was something he allowed for something greater. And so we have this tension. Do I ask God for this miracle? Do I ask God for this thing? How do I pray? I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do anyway because God is sovereign and he's in charge. You understand the tension, right? You feel that. So there's a weakness sometimes with us where we're like, oh, I don't even know what to pray. And and how God responds to those prayers is mysterious. Uh, I had a, a friend, he's a pastor friend of mine, whose son last week had an accident and all he did, he posted, this is the father that I'm friends with, posted on social media, my son is being life flighted right now and it doesn't look good. I mean, this horrible situation. And so do you know what I did? I prayed. I mean, it like hit me right to my spirit. My son Cole is just about to get his license and I was just feeling that. And, and so I prayed and I was like, oh no, God, no, please do a miracle in his son's life. And less than an hour later, his father posted that, and he said, I don't use this term lightly, a miracle has happened. My son is perfectly fine now. He's interacting, and, and you look at that situation, and you go, man, we all prayed. I'm, I'm imagining thousands of pastors were praying that know this guy, and, and churches and Christians all around were praying, and God did a miracle. So we look at them and go, okay, that makes sense. But do you know what we also happen at times? We pray for other people, other people that are in the exact same situations. I pray for people that are being life lighted, and they pass away. And so there's this mystery to it, this mystery that we just go, man, I don't, I don't know how to pray sometimes. And so do you know what God says happens? That the Holy Spirit then prays for us, that the Holy Spirit knows our weaknesses. And so what he does is he prays, and this is how it's described. Let me go back to verse 27. He says, and he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I love this beautiful image. For us who are Christians, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And when we have this weakness, this insecurity, this ignorance, we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit searches our hearts. And I love this imagery. Uh, One of my favorite Psalms that I quote often is Psalm 139, where David actually invites the Holy Spirit to do this. He says, God, search me and know me. See if there is any anxious way. See if there's anything that's not pleasing to you. And then he asks him to lead him in the way everlasting. But he wants God to search the inner being of who he is. And this is what Paul promises. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He searches us. He knows us perfectly. He knows our stress, our anxiousness. He knows our desires. He just knows everything about us. And he also, because he is fully God, perfectly knows the will of God. And so as a result, knowing what we need, knowing the perfect will of God, 
the Holy Spirit prays perfect prayers for us. And that should be a comfort that when we have those times where we're just, I mean, even the, the imagery, the way he describes this of, of groaning, where we're just like, I mean, have you ever been this way where you're just like, oh, I, I, I don't even know what to pray or, oh, I just desire this so much. I need this so much. And it's just that part of you. And he goes, you know what? The Holy Spirit interacts with you and interacts in the perfect way and prays perfect prayers. So friends, be comforted by that, that God is interceding for you that God himself wants you to be successful in, in, the, in the life that he's called you to live. And, and I love this. I'll just give you this last imagery from Scripture. The Scripture tells us that Satan goes before the Father, God the Father, and accuses us day and night. He's always making accusations, trying to always point out our faults. And it says, while he does this, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, interceding for us, just pleading his blood upon us, saying, no, like what Satan says, here's an accusation. And Jesus goes, forgave that, forgave that, forgave that, died for that sin. So Jesus is praying perfect prayers for us about atonement. But at the same time, the spirit of God who's inside of us is also praying perfect prayers into the presence of God, praying about our sanctification, this process of us being made holy. So even though Satan attacks, Satan accuses, Jesus the Son is interceding for us, Holy Spirit, who is God, is interceding for us. And this is because God truly loves you and wants you to experience the full life that he offers. Okay, so that's Bible study number one. Here's Bible study number two. There's another element about the Holy Spirit praying for us and with us that I want to speak to. And it's what's referred to as the gift of tongues, or some people would just simply call it speaking in tongues. Now, what we see in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit is able to manifest certain gifts through our lives. Uh, one of the incorrect teachings that I'll sometimes hear, and even people will say, is they'll say, I have the gift of, and they'll name one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit does. So you can find these, and I'm going to go ahead and turn there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And um, let me see, uh, I, I'm sorry, it's in uh, chapter 12 and 14. And I'm going to look at chapter 14. But in this, it talks about the different gifts. So let me just read what the different gifts are. It says, now there are a variety of gifts with the same spirit. There are varieties of service with the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to others gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, uh, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, the gift of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so these nine gifts that are listed are not gifts that individuals have as much as the Holy Spirit who is inside of us manifests those gifts at times. So who has the gifts? The Holy Spirit has the gifts. They are his gifts that in us and through us he can manifest. And so all of, of the nine gifts, I would say eight of them are not strange in the sense of I don't think anyone would look at them and go like, Ooh, that's kind of weird. So let me just kind of go through them again. So like one of them is wisdom. No one is put off by wisdom. 
Another is knowledge. No one's put off by knowledge. Uh, miracles and healing and faith. And again, no one's like, oh, that's super weird. Uh, one of them is the ability to distinguish spirits, so like to have that sensitivity to know when demonic activity is, is going on. And, and I think even though that might sound a little bit strange, it's not really that strange. It's not really that intimidating. But when we talk about the gifts of tongues, it is the one gift that is not mimicked in any other area in our life. It's not something that you would say is normal. And so for many, it can be a very intimidating thing. I even think because of the strange things that people have done in the name of the Holy Spirit, that all of the gifts start to almost have a bad reputation in some circles because they're intimidated by it and they'll think like, oh man, that's when the wacky things happen. But you need to understand this. God has never been wacky. God has never commanded us to be wacky. Matter of fact, in this very book where Paul talks about the gifts, he talks about the fact we're not supposed to be wacky. And so I keep using the term wacky. I hope you know what that means, like goofy or crazy. And so when we look at the gift of tongues, what we'll see is this is another wonderful, beautiful gift that God gives to us. And so I just want to spend some time talking about it, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you to not be intimidated by it, but to pursue this wonderful gift. So there are three different types of tongues that are, are shown in Scripture, uh, and I'm going, going to focus on one of them specifically today. The first type of tongues is a known language unknown to you, a known language unknown to you. So what I mean by that is we see in Acts chapter 2, on the very first day that the Holy Spirit descended and filled the lives of the believers, in this moment, they all began to speak in other known languages. So at this time, the Feast of Weeks was going on, or what we would refer to as the Feast of Pentecost was going on in Jerusalem. There were literally thousands, most likely tens of thousands of Jewish men that were there. And so they were all there to celebrate this feast. And when the disciples and all those that were with them were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in languages of all these different men from different nations that came to Jerusalem. The men marveled at it because they were like, how do these guys know our languages? Well, it was a supernatural event that took place on that day. Now, that is not a common theme shown. I think in Scripture it's only shown one time. But I've heard other examples of when people have had this supernatural encounter. I'll tell you one specifically. Uh, there's a pastor in California named Jack Hayford. Uh, he's uh, older now, much older. I think he's in his upper 80s, uh, if not 90s. And uh, he told a story one time that he was on a plane, and he just felt like strongly that the Holy Spirit was saying to him to sing in tongues to the man who was next to him. <laughs> Can, can you imagine being in that moment? You're like you're, you're thinking the same thing that he was thinking. He said that he was like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And kind of had this moment where he was wrestling. And so finally he's like, I can't, obviously I can't disobey God. So he said to this man, hey, I, I, I just feel like God wants me to do something. And I'm believing you'll understand why. But I feel like God wants me to sing to you in tongues. And so he does. And he starts singing in tongues. This guy gets emotional, and what was going on is while Jack Hayford was singing in tongues, the song that he was singing was a Native American song that this man's grandmother used to sing to him as a, as a child. And so this, like just obviously it was a supernatural encounter, it allowed Jack Hayford to preach the gospel to this man. This man was saved. So again, that's another example of a, of an, a known language unknown to the person who's delivering it. Okay, so that's the first type of tongue. Here's the second is an unknown language to be interpreted. And so in the gifts that are listed, it actually gives us a, the interpretation of tongues. 
So this would be a person that in a setting with believers uh, where one person would have what they feel is a tongue given by the Holy Spirit for the group. One person would share that tongue and then someone would interpret it. So the Holy Spirit would give them an interpretation. I want you to be, cl- want to be clear on this. Not a word for word or, or sound for sound interpretation of it in the sense of I'm translating it, but just an interpretation of the theme of the message. And so again, this is shown in scripture, talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. But then there's a third, and this is a private, personal prayer language. Private, personal prayer language where people can speak in tongues just for their own personal edification. And this is the gift I want to focus on because it is the desire of my heart that all of us would be able to operate in this gift, uh, along with all the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about what he desires them to pursue. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he's really highlighting prophecy in this but he also talks about tongues. And he says this in verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit, in the spirit. I want you to just remember that phrase because Paul will use that in some of his other writings, in the spirit. So when someone is speaking, uttering in the spirit, he's talking about speaking in tongues. In verse 4, he says, the one who speaks in a tongues builds up himself. He goes on to say the one who prophesies builds up the church, but he says, when you speak in a tongue, you build yourself up. And then he describes this tension of what goes on. In verse 14, he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What he means is I don't even understand what's happening. My spirit is praying, but my mind's unfruitful. My mind doesn't understand. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. See, what he's talking about is he says there's this times where I'm just, I'm speaking in tongues, but I don't even know what I'm saying. So what am I supposed to do? And he goes, here's what I do. As I'm speaking in tongues, I think about other things that I'm, I'm concerned about, that I care about. Now, I, I'm going to say this as an example because this is what I do in my own life. I firmly believe that the gifts of tongues are still available today along with all the other gifts. Again, I want to reiterate that I believe it should be done in an orderly fashion. But in my life, I pray in tongues. When I am praying every single time that I'm praying and spending time with God, God, there's a portion of that that I'm speaking in tongues. Specifically, when I'm preparing for ministry. So on, on Sunday mornings, when we are here for prayer time, my habit is I stand in the front of the auditorium as all of our volunteers and staff spread out in this room. And we're led in a time of prayer before the service. I'll pace back and forth and I'll be speaking in tongues. And in my mind, I'm thinking about all the different things that are going to happen in the morning. So I'm thinking, God, will you guide me as I teach? God, will you protect the people of our church that are coming to church right now? Will you protect them physically and relationally, mentally and emotionally so that they can come here ready to be impacted spiritually? I pray for our worship team. I pray for just the different ministries that are going on. So in my mind, I'm going, God, will you do this and do this miracle? But I'm also speaking in tongues in that moment. Same thing on, on Monday morning when we're praying over the needs of the church. I will look at 
the sheet that we are, we're all handed as staff members and I'm reading through them and as I'm pacing and as I'm praying, oftentimes I will be thinking about those things while speaking in tongues because there's this powerful dynamic that goes on and this is what Paul is alluding to. Um, his encouragement for us in verse 18, and this might sound kind of strange, but he says, this is Paul talking, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And Paul wasn't talking smack to him. Paul was saying to them, I want you to understand as this man of God that is being used by God, I am speaking in tongues all the time. Why? Because it was building up his spirit. Here's a spiritual reality. When you are trying to follow God and to love people and to minister to people the way you're called to do, that is the idea of pouring out. If you consistently pour out, you need to also be refilled. When you have this time with speaking in tongues in the presence of God, it is a supernatural way that God refills the tank. Can God fill the tank in other ways? Absolutely. So I never want anyone to hear of, oh, if I don't speak in tongues, then I can't have my tank filled. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this is a gift that God gives so that you can experience something even greater. So again, all these gifts. Can you still be a Christian and not operate with all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But don't you want to have at times through you the gift of faith increased? Don't you at times want to have the wisdom and knowledge that the Holy Spirit provides? Absolutely. Don't you want to be able to do miracles? Absolutely. Don't you want to be able to pray for someone and they are healed? Absolutely. Don't you want the discernment of evil spirits in the world so that you don't get deceived and, and tricked in life? Absolutely. And so this is another one of those gifts that are made available to us. Uh, go over now to Ephesians chapter 6, or just listen to me as I talk. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about the armor of God. And the armor of God that we all know about is this imagery where he talks about all these spiritual tools that we can have in our lives. And so I'm just going to read through them. There, many of you are very familiar with these. He says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can distinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I mean, all this imagery, you need truth and righteousness, gospel of peace, you need faith, you need salvation, you need the Spirit, which is the word of God, right? So, I mean, Paul's like, you need these things to be successful. Do you know what he says in the very next verse? He says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Remember that I asked you to remember that phrase, in the Spirit? So when you utter in the Spirit, that's praying in the Spirit. When you're praying in the Spirit, this is Paul's language of saying, speaking in tongues. How do I know he's not simply talking about prayer? Because in the very next line, so he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. When Paul talks about prayer, like in his letter to the Philippians, he says, with prayer and supplication, he makes those as a connection. That's verbal prayer. But when you're praying in the Spirit, he's talking about speaking in tongues. And so what Paul is saying is, this is a tool that God has given you to fight the good fight. If I were to say to you, which one of the armor of God are you okay to be without? Here, here's my guess, is you would say, well, well, none of them. We should strive to have all of them, right? 
Well, this is another one of a part of the armor that God gives us to be able to pray in the spirit to build ourselves up. In the book of Jude, and now there's no chapters because it's just a short document, but in the book of Jude, verse 20, he says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Spirit. Friends, the reason why I talk about this is because I think so many, whether it be ignorance or intimidation, will not pursue the gift of tongues. And I, w- I want to be clear. So I, there's a many different theological bents around this. Some teach, uh, there's some extremes on this, but some teach that the, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you must speak in tongues. So it's often worded as being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. I was actually raised with that uh, teaching. Uh, the Assemblies of God embraces that. I don't personally believe that that's what the Bible teaches. Um, Paul even says that in that the assumption, he says, do you all speak in tongues? No, but he, that doesn't mean that no one, they can't. He's just saying that at this time, not all speak in tongues. Where they get that from is that there were multiple occasions in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and something physical took, took place. And so either people spoke in tongues or they prophesied. And so from that, many have said that you must speak in tongues in order to have the proof that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't agree with that. I think Scripture clearly teaches that the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit are the fruit of the Spirit. That when your life is transformed, then you know the Spirit is at work in your life. Some will go as far as to say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not actually saved. I would say that's a false doctrine. That, that is absolutely not taught in the Bible. That's very dangerous. So here's what I would say, though. I don't believe that speaking in tongues was given to us as a proof to prove to ourselves or to others that we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now that said, and this is where it might be shocking to people, I do believe the gift of tongues is available to all Christians. And the reason why I say that is because in this document, as Paul is writing, Paul is encouraging people to do this thing. Why would Paul encourage people to do something that's not available to them? In the armor of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Why would Paul say that, that this is not a gift available? Why would Paul say that I I speak in tongues more than all of you and encourage people to build their spirits up if it's not available to them? So all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are readily available in the time of need for the believer. So if you're in an environment and you need wisdom, the Holy Spirit will provide that for you. Same thing with the gift of tongues. So how do we receive this gift? There's, There's no recipe in Scripture. What I believe is you receive it the same way you receive salvation in the sense it's just by faith. By seeking it with God and asking God for it, you don't have to be the perfect Christian. To go to God and say, God, I'm open. Will you give me this gift? And to have a relentlessness about it, just keep pursuing God, pursuing God, being open to it, even being willing and open to risk sounding goofy, feeling uncomfortable because it is a language that you've never spoken before. My experience is when people who seek after the Holy Spirit and this specific gift, that they receive it. And it changes their lives. And so, friends, I want to encourage you. Don't be intimidated by this. Seek this gift. I know for me personally, I can't imagine not operating in the gift of tongues. And so my encouragement to you, seek this gift, be open and to receive it, and just allow God to build your spirit up through this gift. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to the church. You can email info at thetree.church, and that will get passed on to me. And uh, I'd love to answer any questions you might have. Sorry for the super long Bible study, but hopefully it was an encouragement to you. God bless.